1: I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognize, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. In this episode, I speak to New York Times bestselling author, Sarah Knight.
0: People kind of... They, they read the titles of my books and they think, oh, maybe that's kind of rude. I am not promoting rudeness. I'm promoting honesty, politeness, transparency, and compromise. And you know I think that saying no has to, can be a lot less scary when you realize that you have the power to suggest something that does work
1: for you. With more than 3 million copies in print, Sarah Knight's No Fucks Given guides have been published in 31 languages worldwide and her TEDx talk on the magic of not giving a fuck has over 10 million views. In this conversation, she talks us through how best to live an authentic and fulfilling life by embracing the power of saying no and having boundaries. And as is often the case with ready to be real chats, the language in this episode, as you'd imagine, isn't always suitable for young or sensitive ears. So please be mindful as you listen. I started by asking her why she gave up her successful career in the corporate world in 2015.
0: Well, I was a high-level book editor in New York City, and I had been doing that job for almost 15 years, and I was suddenly finding it very hard to get out of bed in the morning. Very difficult to get on the subway and to commute 45 minutes to a job that I liked, that I loved, in fact, you know, collaborating with writers, discovering new voices, watching books come out into the world. Uh, That always remained exciting, but it turned out that working in a corporate environment was not ideal for me and in particular it was hard for me to kind of switch off the authenticity of who i am which didn't gel as well with a corporate environment as you know it might have and i just felt constantly being held back you know i wanted more autonomy i wanted more decision making i was willing to take The risks of making the wrong decision and owning up to it and learning from it. But I I never felt like I could really do everything I wanted to do for my own career, for my authors and their books. And I started having panic attacks. And the first time it happened, I thought I'm having an aneurysm or I've been poisoned. Uh, You know, maybe my bra is so tight that I can't breathe. (laughs) And that was a wake up call for me that something in my life had to change. And I really was forced out of desperation to take an inventory. And, you know, I was happily married. I owned an apartment in Brooklyn. I was, as I said, you know, at a very high level in my career at that point, this was in 2014 that things started to get really, really bad. And I realized though, that even though I was successful in my career, it wasn't, this was the problem. It was just not making me happy. Mm. And it was terrifying to have to confront that And to think about the prospect of quitting it all to work for myself, which is what I felt like would really be fulfilling, being my own boss, like I said, making my own decisions and taking my own risks. But I had identified for so long with the idea of being a you know, a New York city book editor. And I was going to rise all the way up to publisher. I was going to have my own imprint. I was probably going to die behind that desk. You know, this is what I thought my life was going to be. And I really identified so much with my reputation and the career that I had spent so much time building. Um, but it basically took me about a year from the initial realization until June of 2015, when I walked into my boss's office and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done.
1: When you said those words, was there, was there like a lift in you in terms of, okay, I finally, I finally said the thing that has been on my mind for so long.
0: First, it was the drop. Like when you're at the top of a roller coaster, everything falls away and Mm. then came the relief, you know, and I had of course been talking about it with my husband for a year. I'd been saving up money so that I could go freelance and feel like I had a cushion. I'd been psyching myself up for this, you know, every day for 365 days, but saying the words to my boss and realizing it was kind of the point of no return was both, uh, terrifying and also enervating and, and, and exhilarating.
1: Yes. So, um, from there, obviously you took time to, to just, I suppose, assess where you were going in your life. And then what happened? Did you just feel inspired one day to write the, the, the first book? That first book was the one that obviously just took off
0: So, uh, perhaps not coincidentally, almost immediately after quitting the job that was giving me panic attacks and miring me in depression, uh, I felt somewhat free in my creative space and had the idea for my first book, the life changing magic of not giving a fuck. And it came about because I'd had Marie Kondo's Japanese decluttering Bible, the life changing magic of tidying up, which was a big bestseller at that time and had it. Uh, on my desk and I was going to mail it to my mother because she really needs it. Um, (laughs) And I thought that was kind of passive aggressive. And so I just ended up reading it myself and I took away a lot of, you know, little tidying tricks, but I'm already a pretty tidy person. What happened for me after I read it was I thought, you know, I've been doing everything for my mind that Marie Kondo would have you do for your closet or your basement or your garage. I've been getting rid of things that don't serve me. I've, I've been pushing them out the door, sweeping them out and making room for things that really do, including these bursts of creative energy. And I thought, you know, it would be fun. You know, a book called the life changing magic of not giving a fuck. That's kind of a parody of this one. And I intended it for, you know, to be a humor book at the beginning, but it ended up taking on a life of its own and mm. just people really responded to this idea of, you know, hold on to the joy, as Marie Kondo would tell you, but get rid of the annoy, which is what I was focused on.
1: Yeah. And I think that's that's why I suppose, you know, what you're writing about is is resonating with people and people want to hear more because a lot of us and I don't know what you were like yourself as a kid, but for a lot of people, it's kind of like we're trying to unlearn years and years of conditioning whether it's our own home environment, whether it was just, you know, society and what it taught us to how to be and and, and people please and, and to always say yes and all the rest. Um, that there's a lot of work that a lot of us have to do on actually discovering who we really are and what we really want. Because sometimes it's so muddled and we're so, we struggle so much to find it because we have been so long trying to keep other people happy that we don't even know what we want ourselves.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. And I think part of it for me is just being born into a kind of type A, very ambitious, organized, focused uh Brain. And part of it is being the oldest child, the oldest daughter, um, you know, someone who society conditions as a young woman to, to serve and to make people feel comfortable and to make sure that nobody feels bad and, and all of this stuff that leads to people pleasing and it leads to putting other people's needs ahead of your own. Um, and so that combined with the fact that I had reached this point of great success doing what I was doing, I had when I left Simon and Schuster in 2015, I had just published *Luckiest Girl Alive* by Jessica Knoll, which became the best-selling debut fiction of the year. Mm. I had a nonfiction book on the bestseller list by Dr. Emily Nagoski called *Come As You Are: The Surprising Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life*. And mm. I had a humor book um, by someone who goes by the tweet of God on Twitter, who has millions of followers, being turned into a Broadway show. So this was like I was I was peaking, yeah. and yet it somehow became out of, like I said, sort of desperation, more important to follow my instincts that I don't need to keep doing this just because it's what people expect from me, nor do I need to keep doing it because it's what I've expected from me for the last 35 years or so. Um, And it was really, really difficult. And one of the things that I try to do with my books, a lot of them are just sort of the result of me working these things out for myself and then trying to put them into a sort of fun and simple practical blueprint so that other people don't have to suffer quite so much as I did in order to get to this point.
1: Mm. I know that for some people saying no can feel just so utterly it's utterly difficult. They just can't even bring themselves to it. I mean, I I'm working on it myself. I've definitely improved massively in recent times, and I think for me, a lot of it is just getting that bit older. Uh, you know, I'm 44. You know, in a month's time, and I definitely feel l- l- I'm less concerned about keeping other people happy because I know how how precious time is, and I I you know I I I I know I suffer if I don't do what feels right for me. Um. But for a lot of people, they feel like, well, if I don't say yes to it, am I, am I an asshole? Am I an asshole if I say no? Am I, am I coming across as I I don't care or I'm mean or I'm this or I'm that? And I know you're very clear to point out there are ways and means of saying no.
0: Absolutely. I too am 44 and I also feel the, the, you know, the fact that there's, there's less time ahead of me perhaps than there has come before. And I want to make it really valuable. Mm. And the thing about saying no, and I, I wrote an entire book about this called Fuck no, how to stop saying yes when you can't, you shouldn't, or you just don't want to. Is that so often the guilt and sense of obligation are coming from inside the house. We're not even letting other people make us feel guilty. We're making these decisions inside our own head, reprimanding ourselves for potentially not being a jerk, not being an asshole, you know, I should do this. Should is a is a terrible word Mm. because there is a difference between true obligation. You are obligated to show up to your job if you want to get a paycheck. That is a true obligation. You are not obligated to go to a birthday party. You are not obligated to pick up an extra volunteer shift. You are not obligated to donate to somebody's 10K charity. Um, these are things that are on a sliding scale of, you know, do you want to, can you, can you afford to, do you have the time? Do you think it would be nice? Will it help someone else more than it hurts you to make this gesture or perform this task? Um, But you don't have to so immediately feel guilty and obligated and say yes right away. And so one of my best tricks from Fuck No is what I call the no and switch. Um, And I go through a bunch of different ways, starter ways for people to say no who are uncomfortable with it. Did you know that you can say no to something and propose an alternate that works for you. So for example, if your sister invites you to come spend the afternoon with her watching her kid's football game, and you're like, you know, I don't really want to drive half an hour out to the field at nine o'clock in the morning to watch a bunch of nine-year-olds play (laughs) footy, uh, you can say, hey, thanks so much for thinking of me. That's not going to work, but I'd love to see you. Or maybe even I'd love to see you and my nephew and propose an alternate time works for you and it would make you happy. And she's welcome to say, no, that doesn't work for us. And you can go back and forth until you reach a point where you're both happy. And that's something that people kind of they they read the titles of my books and they think, oh, maybe that's kind of rude. I am not promoting rudeness. I'm promoting honesty, politeness, transparency, and compromise. And, you know, I think that saying no has, can be a lot less scary when you realize that you have the power to suggest something that does work for you.
1: Yeah. And that's it. I think, um, you've hit the nail on the head because, you know, we worry that we are going to be perceived as, as rude if we, if we say no, but it is about, um, saying it in the right way. That is, allowing you to, to be authentic as well. For me that when I say no to something, my body speaks to me. You know, if I say no to something that I, that I, that I didn't want to do, you know, there's a release with that. But then if I say yes to that thing that I didn't want to do, I have an, I, you know, I I, I feel it. I feel it in my, in my stomach. I feel that knot, I feel that tightness and it's, you know, again, it's it's back to your your gut, I suppose, speaking to you, and and that that uh, that communicating to you that this is this is not right for you. So why are you doing it? And I think the more we tune into that, the better it can be for us. Were you as a kid? Were you were you always good at, at standing up for yourself and saying no, not for me.
0: Uh, I was very good at saying no, not for me when it came to things like running the mile in under 10 minutes. You know, in our physical ed- education classes, we had this, it's called the presidential fitness test. And we had to do, you know, three pull ups and 10 jumping jacks and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and run a mile in under 10 minutes. And I just walked around the track. And I remember very clearly my gym teacher saying, Come on, Sarah, you know, you can do it. I was like, I, I don't want to do this. He's like, Do it for yourself. And I was like, I don't care how fast I can <laughs> get around the track. I, I do not care. And I'm not going. Going to run. (laughs) Like I'm not going to do it. So in that sense, yes, I was very good at kind of putting my foot down. Not so much when it came on to taking, taking on work, taking on obligations. And part of that is, you know, my perfectionist nature was give it to me. I'll do it right. So I don't have to kind of suffer through watching other people do it wrong. And that's something that again, now I'm 44 years old. I've had some time to, to get to a real nadir on perfectionism and how badly that can erode, uh, your, your energy levels. And I call myself a recovering perfectionist now. Um, but I also think that back to what you said about feeling, you know, feeling it in your gut when you say yes to things that you didn't really want to do and no, uh, I, I recommend a visualization exercise when somebody asks you to do something, whether it's a work task or a, you know, personal relationship, give yourself the gift of, let me think about that and get back to you. Like just a quick, like, oh, thanks. Let me check my calendar. That's how you pause and don't have to say yes in the moment. And then visualize, how are you going to feel at four o'clock in the morning when you roll up to the airport on your way to a wedding halfway around the world that you don't really want to go to? You know, think about how you're going to feel in that moment. Because if you say yes now, because you're flustered, you are going to spend the next three months dreading it. You are going to hate yourself when you're standing in line at airport security, and you're probably not going to have that much fun at the wedding, and you've probably spent a lot of money that you did not need to spend. Say, let me think about it. Decide that you're going to pass. Do it politely, which is doing it in a timely fashion. Maybe send a gift. But, you know, just give yourself the time to think it through. And if you feel that clenching in your gut, that's a sign that you should be saying no.
1: In situations where... Say it is somebody who is a friend it's not it's not an acquaintance, it is a friend, but their ask is is big, and you're not feeling it. Do you let them down gently do you um do you make something up to soften the blow of the no or do you just give it to them straight but politely
0: so I feel that honesty and politeness do work in tandem, sometimes being completely honest. Is rude, you know. If you were to say, "I don't really want to go to your um, birthday dinner on a Wednesday night at nine o'clock because it's going to be full of your other friends that I really don't like and I don't want to be stuck <laughs> with them," that would be that would be rude. It would be honest, but it would be rude. You don't have to quite go that far. You can say, "I'm so sorry, I'm not available." And, you know, in your mind, you're like, I am not available to hang out with a bunch of people I don't like. I don't make myself available for that. But all you've said is, I'm so sorry I'm not available. And then you can offer an alternate time. Um, when it comes to something like a wedding, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was in my, you know, mid twenties to early thirties, there was a year when I was invited to 13 weddings and I do not have the time, I don't have the vacation days, I didn't have the disposable income to make all 13 of those weddings happen. And I probably had to say yes to five, you know, well, I probably said no to five of them. And I and it was different ways for different people. You know, I had, um, there was a a cousin of my husband's and her wedding was the weekend after a wedding we were definitely going to, and her wedding was much further away. And we're not very close. I've probably only met her three times in my life and we just wrote back a very nice RSVP note and sent a really nice gift and it wasn't a big deal. Um, there was a friend who, you know, I said her wedding was going to be across the country and her bachelorette party was going to be in Mexico. And I said, I can only go to one of them. Which one do you want me at? And she said, come to Mexico. (laughs) So, you know, you're honest, you're, you're giving other people choice. Yeah. I love sending a Mm. gift. Uh, there's lots of ways around it without being, without being what I call bad selfish, uh, and certainly without being an asshole.
1: And is it a muscle that, you know, the more you use it, the, you know, the stronger it gets and the easier it gets, you know, to implement the no?
0: Absolutely. And I sometimes sound a little bit like a a drug dealer when I say, just try it, just try it (laughs) once. And you're going to see how great it is, how, how relatively easy and with relatively few repercussions, just try it.
1: Yeah, because there is that, you know, we do hear about people talking about the power of yes. And while there is a power in saying yes also, I think it's, 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 there's much more value in the no, because I think it's easier. We're programmed to do the yes more anyway. It's, it's more challenging for us to, to, to say no. So therefore implementing that and actually working on that side of things more than the yes is, is more powerful. But where do you stand on that? Where do you stand on the yeses?
0: I mean, I think that the idea for me is that if you're saying more no's to things that you know are not going to serve you, to people you don't want to be around to jobs you don't want to do, then you've freed yourself up to say, yes, you know, a fuck not given is something gained. You've gained back some time, energy, and or money that you can spend on the things you want to say yes to. And then you can be fully present for those things. And you're not exhausted and you're not constantly thinking the whole time you're doing it about the next thing you have to do that you really shouldn't have committed to. So I think it's a balancing act.
1: Well, actually on that, can we talk about the fuck budget? And expand Uh, on it a bit more because I, (laughs) (laughs) such a great concept.
0: My most enduring legacy. Uh, The fuck budget, I refer to your time, energy, and money as your fuck bucks. And I think that you should treat your time and energy the same way that you've learned to treat the actual money in your bank account or in your wallet as finite commodities that if you spend them on one thing, you will have less, you know, less to spend on other things. So, Time, not a renewable resource. You know, we have, our our clock is ticking as as a human being. You show up here on earth and you've got a set amount of time. So like you really want to be spending your time wisely. And energy, that's a renewable resource, but you have to give yourself the chance to renew it. If you're going out straight 24-7 week after week, you're going to be so depleted that you won't even be able to bring any energy to the things that you committed to next week. And in terms of money, you know, some people are harder up and some people have more to give. For me, when I was in my 20s, I would be much more likely to donate my time and energy to a cause. Now, I'd rather donate some money because my time and energy is a little bit more precious to me and I have the money to spend. But in any case, it's like an overall budget. And you need to be able to make your fuck budget by looking at what's important to you and what you want to spend that time, energy, and money on and then stick to your fuck budget by saying no to the things that would reduce it to cinders. Uh, and I think it's just become, for some reason, a, a really easy concept for people to wrap their heads around when they might have otherwise had all that guilt and obligation and a lot of stress around money and anxiety. If you can just sort of look at it as if you spend it, there is less of it to spend on other things. So in the mm. same way, that you want what you want, you have to save your fuck bucks in order to put them toward that thing that you want.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last
0: thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
1: What would your guidelines be to somebody who is brand new to this concept? Like what would be those, your top three points to make as to how you can dip your toe into the world of no?
0: Well, the very first thing is that you have to stop giving a fuck about what other people think. Um, and some people think that this is the most difficult thing in the world. It is not. And I will tell you how to consider it. You do not control what other people think. You can only control yourself, your own behavior, your own decisions. You could be making the best goddamn decisions out there, and somebody could decide they don't agree with you and they don't likely. Le- I mean, have you been on TikTok? I put an opinion out on TikTok and a hundred thousand people tell me I'm wrong, and another hundred thousand people tell me I'm right. So you can't control it. And if you let go of things you can't control. And focus on what you want out of your life. Let go of worrying about what people will think if you abandon your 15-year career. Let go of what you're worried your parents will think if you decide to go freelance after you spent all this time and money getting a, you know, Ivy League education. People also don't care nearly as much as you think they do about you and your life decisions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Typically, if you RSVP notice something, the person just moves on with their life. You know, it's not the kind of thing that Somebody's going to be stewing over for the next ten years. So, for people who are new to the concept of not giving a fuck, who are new to the concept of saying no and sticking to their fuck budget, I think the the first and very most important thing is to stop caring what other people think. Just focus on you, your own decisions, and whether or not they serve you. Um, the second thing, of course, is the honesty and politeness matrix. You know, if you want, if you're worried that you are going to be considered an asshole, then don't be one. Be honest, be polite, and be both of those things in tandem so that you have done nothing wrong. I call this my not sorry method. Decide what you don't give a fuck about. Proceed with not giving a, bu- a fuck about those things. Be honest and polite while you're doing it. And you've done nothing wrong. You have nothing to feel guilty for or ashamed of. You don't have to apologize. You are not sorry. Um, those are really the the core. You know, I think that the the rest of the idea of freeing yourself up to say no is just remembering that we don't get any more time in this life. And so the more, you know, the more devastatingly boring and terrible and annoying, yes, as you say, you're just depriving yourself of all kinds of other fun and, or relaxation you could be having. I mean, I love to just sit home on my couch at night and mm. binge watch some Ted Lasso. You know, I don't need to be out at, at a, at an event three nights a week sure Um, yeah but it really is it's about paying attention to that balance
1: and we overthink so many of us overthink don't we as you said like you know how will this person perceive it and even if if you do say no and it is with politeness but it's direct you can imagine how that person will receive the news but you have no control over how they receive the news
0: no. And you're, and it's also natural for all of us to push back. If, if I invited you to my birthday party and you said, I can't make it, I might say, Oh, really? Like, are you sure anything I can do to change your mind? Just because that's a thing we do. That's the theater of being human. You're just expressing to your friend that you're, that you wish they could make it. Mm. And that. That reaction leads some people to go, Oh, okay, no, now I feel bad, guilty. No, it was just, it's just how we do. That's what people say. When you say you can't make it, they say, Oh, are you sure that's too bad or we're gonna miss you? You can say, Yeah, I am sure, unfortunately, it is too bad, and I'm gonna miss you too. And that just that puts an end to it. And if there are people in your life who persist in pushing and pushing and really actively trying to make you feel guilty? Yeah. First of all, those are not people that you should reward. You should not reward the bad behavior. But yeah. you can say, "Honestly, I think that your inability to take no for an answer says more about you than it does about me."
1: Very good. Very good. Yeah. What about what about when we struggle to respond? to that invitation or that suggestion be it a dinner out or whatever it might be and we're just we're feeling it but we don't want to let that person down so we're let we're leaving them hang with it i'm I'm taking it that that's not something that you recommend doing
0: i do not recommend that and i but i do think it's worthwhile to give yourself that quick you know let me look at my calendar and get back to you let me talk it over with my significant other or thanks uh Hold that thought. I'll be back to you soon. You know, just give yourself that artificial pause so that you can think it through on your own and decide. And my kind of formula is in terms of being, like I said, bad selfish versus good selfish. You know, I believe in looking out for number one. I think you need to protect yourself. You need to protect your fuck budget because if you're overwhelmed and overbooked and overdrawn, you're no good to anybody anyway. But if you're worried about really hurting someone, you can ask yourself, does saying no hurt them more than it helps me? You know, maybe there's just something I don't really feel like doing. It wouldn't be my top choice. Um, but I know that it is extraordinarily important to this other person, whether on a personal level or, you know, helping them complete a task. And I think, you know what, it's, it's going to help them more, you know, more than it hurts me to say yes. So I'm going to say yes. And that's how I sort of balance the books in my own mind. You know, I'm not out here trying to just say no and not be available to anybody who, who I love or who I support or who I'm working with just to, just to say no for the sake of it. I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about it and I'm doing a little calculation. And so I think that if it, if it helps you more than it hurts anybody else to say that, no, then go right ahead. You should feel completely confident in doing it, but don't leave them hanging because that's yeah. rude. Yeah. Somebody has a party to plan. They need a budget. They need to, you know, set up the the place cards on the table, whatever it is. Like they just need you to say yes or no. Mm.
1: And what you were saying there earlier about compromise, I had it recently with some friends of mine and, you know, we're in a WhatsApp, we're in a WhatsApp group and uh, we were planning a night away, the girls together. And right now with what I have going on in my life, I just wasn't in a position to do that. And I knew my body was screaming at me that it was a no, but I still wanted to see them. So the compromise is I meet up earlier and I spend a number of hours. We all hang out. We get to catch up but I leave rather than staying the night. So I feel like, I hope that they're okay with that, which they've said they are, which is brilliant. Um, and I'm still getting to see them, but I'm not doing the thing that I didn't want to do, which was to do an overnight uh, and be away. Um, and, and you know, it feels so much better when you kind of voice your truth and you say, "I'm ju- this is where I feel about this thing. And how do you guys feel about that? And you can discuss it. And it's much healthier than me saying nothing, doing the overnight, not wanting to, are not turning up at all, I suppose.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, this is actually something that I think is really good for people who suffer from FOMO, uh, whether it's personal or professional. I'm worried that if I say no to this, they're never going to ask me again. Um, And I recommend absolutely being honest. You know, if you have friends who are always uh, wanting to include you in big events and you say, you know what, I have crippling social anxiety and I'm really good one-on-one or one-on-three, but every time you guys invite me to one of these things and I say no, and I make up an excuse and you keep inviting me, I'm just, I just want to level with you. I don't want you to stop inviting me to small, you know, carefully curated gatherings, but I am always going to say no to these big parties and things because of my crippling social anxiety. And if they're your real friends, they'll be like, oh, so that's why you're saying no. It's not because you don't want to be with us. It's not because you're a flake. It's because this is difficult for you. And we get it. You know, and it's the same thing with if your friends invite you to a, you know, summer share in the Hamptons and you just can't afford it. But you don't want them to stop asking because if, you know, next year you might be able to afford it. And so Instead of kind of weird giving weird excuses and making it kind of seem like you, you don't you don't want to go at all, you can say, "I would love to do this. I cannot afford it this year. Please ask me again because I will plan for it." You know, and that's so you don't have to worry that you're just saying yes, yes, yes to avoid your FOMO and then putting yourself in a really difficult situation, whether it's you know having a panic attack at a party or you yeah. know going into credit card debt just to spend a week in the Hamptons.
1: Have you had people reach out to you and share their experiences having read your books? I would imagine you hear from people all the time who have implemented, you know, um, your advice.
0: Every single day, Mm. every day I get emails, I get Instagram DMs, and it's wonderful because, you know, you write these books in a in a bubble uh, and you have no idea how, how they're going to enter the world. Certainly with my first book, I had spent 15 years on the other side of the desk. I had worked on amazing books that didn't sell very many copies, you know, and I'd seen not really amazing books go big. I knew that I had a great idea. I felt that I had executed it well, but I had no expectation of how well it was going to do. I mean, I just, I I hoped to get a few good reviews, you know, I I hoped to get a a couple of positive notices. Um, And so for me, the fact that the first book did so well and basically enabled me to continue and write books that aren't parodies that are actually just, you know, original personal development books based on my advice um, Mm. has been amazing. And to hear from people, whether it's in response to get your shit together, which was all about motivation and goal setting, um, or calm the fuck down, which was about managing anxiety and solving problems. Um, it's been, it's the best part. It's the best part of the whole thing because I get some really, um, I get some really intense messages from people and I can't believe that I helped them through some of these really difficult situations.
1: Brilliant. So the new book is Grow the Fuck Up and it's out on the 4th of April. I mean, it's self-explanatory, but why don't we talk about it? I'd love to hear more.
0: The subtitle is How to Be an Adult and get treated like one. And I think that's really important because adulting kind of went from this fun term, you know, it came onto the scene maybe 15 years ago for doing adulty things like picking out paint colors and learning how to use color stays. And then it kind of took on this sort of Depressing tone of like what all adulting means. I have to do all these things that suck, and that, and I don't know how to do them, and I don't want to do them, and there's nobody here to help me. And what I really wanted to express to the audience for this book is that. Adulting does not have to be nearly as difficult or intimidating as you think it is. There are lots of easy ways to put yourself in the mindset of being a grown-up. And when you act like a grown-up, when you are reliable, when you are dependable, when you exhibit self-control, when you have self-awareness, people will treat you like a grown-up. And so they they will give you respect and they will give you trust and they will grant you autonomy. And it it's really like a, a virtuous cycle. So What I'm what I started to do was write a book for younger people because I'd been getting a lot of with the advent of TikTok, a lot of younger people had been discovering uh my books and had started writing to me. And I thought, oh, this would be good kind of set yourself up for adulthood. But as I was working on it, it became clear that a lot of us need a little help growing the fuck up, uh, Mm -hmm. no matter where we are, kind of on that timeline. And so I just tried to break it down the way I do into really simple. Logical pieces. You know, to be an adult is to be mature, it is to be responsible, and it is to be accountable. These are the three main things. And within those three parts of the book, I talk about, you know, things that you need to master communication, critical thinking, coping. And when you're a baby, the slate is blank, you know, and hopefully the adults in your life are modeling good behavior, but a lot of them aren't. So that means that a lot of people out there have been kind of picking their way through and, you know, trial and error until they get to the age of 18 or 25 or 35. And, um, there, there are ways around that, you know, and I try to make them fun and of course sweary. Uh, but the big thing at the beginning of the book is to remember your ABCs and that's Mm. your actions and behavior have consequences. So when you were a kid, you knew what was going to happen if you sassed your mother, you knew what was going to happen if you skipped school or you came home with a bad grade, you know, the consequences were laid out for you and it was up to you to fear them, uh, respect them, you know, decide that you did not want them to happen to you or be willing to take your licks. Um, and I think too many of us as we grow up, forget what we innately know about consequences and we let things happen that we could have prevented or mitigated, um, and there's, you know, there's good consequences too. You act and behave properly, you get good things. If you act and behave improperly, you get bad things. So if you can keep that in mind, and before you're about to say something that might, you know, get you on the wrong side of your boss, or before you're about to do something that might make your friends mad at you, just think to yourself, my actions and behavior have consequences. And then, you know, proceed with that understanding that you have You do have the power here to engender better outcomes for yourself. Um, And that's something that you couldn't do when you were an itty bitty baby. But now that you are an adult, you have that power. So use it.
1: And when you are somebody who's living authentically and you are, you know, doing what you want to do and not doing what you don't want to do, people respect you and respond with well, I know, I know what I'm getting with Sarah. I know what I'm getting with, with, you know, Barry or whoever it is, because they're, they're true to themselves. They're not going to bullshit me. So that gives me a sense of comfort. That builds connection with people, doesn't it? That When you are that way and you are real.
0: It certainly does. And, you know, I've had the interesting experience of moving to a whole new country. Uh, about seven years ago, we moved here to the Dominican Republic and that put me down smack in the middle of making a whole new set of friends. And I'm not somebody who holds on to a lot of friends. I have a core group of really close people that I've maintained mostly since college. Um, but I don't just kind of do small talk and glad hand and let anybody in because I'm kind of naturally suspicious, and sometimes you know my husband lets people in right away and I'm like, that person doesn't seem and then you're in a position where you, then you have to <laughs> then you have to push them out um, but so I've had this experience of you know making new friends in my forties, and it's been since I started you know writing writing the books and I think I had a natural tendency toward authenticity my whole life, but I've become. I'm living and breathing it now as a public figure and as somebody who's constantly putting this out into the world. And it's been so much better for me to show people exactly who I am from the get-go. And if they like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. So, you know, I've had this experience of being able to amass another core group of really good friends of all ages and demographics and nationalities because this place that we live in is such a, such a melting pot. And, uh, and just have that be so easy and immediate for me, unlike from the age of, you know, 10 to 21, trying to make friends with my classmates and my new college classmates. And it just, it was a little bit more tortured. And now I just feel like this is who I am. If you Mm. like it, stick around. If you don't, no worries. You know, it's very liberating.
1: And if you could go back in time. Would you do things differently or would you still have maintained the path you know as in would you have if you could make different decisions because i know you had a very successful career uh, before you you gave it all up and went a different direction but would you do it differently do you think
0: i wish that i had left to work for myself at least 5 years earlier you know i'm not going to malign the the career that i had it gave me the connections it gave me the understanding of how to write books i mean just from the time i was apprenticing under an editor to the time i was editing my own manuscripts like that was a really valuable education and experience and it gave me a lot of confidence and a lot of contacts but i could have left 5 years earlier and it wouldn't have it it, it wouldn't have hurt me on the experience and contacts front and it would have given me an extra 5 years to be doing what i'm doing now and i think that it would have avoided you know, in hindsight, it would have avoided a couple of panic attacks. And, uh, and, you know, a few really, really, really tough years. If I had at the very beginning of the inklings that maybe this wasn't all there was out mm. there for me, um, taken that leap, but you know, it's, it's hard. It feels so risky. So again, I'm out here kind of letting people know that you can do it and it does feel risky and it does feel terrifying, but it's possible to, make it work for you beyond your wildest imagination and then you'll be like me wishing you had done it five years earlier
1: thank you so much for your time i've loved talking to you your book grow the fuck up is out on april the 4th sarah knight thank you so much
0: thank you for having me this is fantastic
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, your family or on social media. And you can support what I do in all the usual ways by clicking follow, giving a rating or leaving a little comment. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Ready To Be Real.